Welcome back to the Complete Inbox Podcast. My name is Rich Green. Of course, with me, Mr. Phil Ernst. Episode three coming at you today. A little bit of a hiatus. Uh, been a little bit busy. We are adults after all. Phil, how you doing? We are. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Rich? I'm actually doing really, really well. It's good to be back in the saddle, back recording again. Uh, it's just been a really busy, you know, few weeks for me. Uh, have you been up to anything special? Any house projects or any uh, adult things that you uh, you want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's funny. The adult things. Yeah, the adult things around here. We've been uh, painting a room that's been. My wife has not enjoyed the color of since we purchased our home, which was actually just two years ago. Uh, the other, I think yesterday or the day before. Oh, so, really? Congratulations, uh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. It's been awesome. It's our first home. And so it's, it's been an experience uh, adulting that kind of that additional chapter of uh, of life there. So, yeah. yeah, it's cool. That's been that weekend. Did you guys argue about color? Uh, yes and no. No, not we didn't. We definitely didn't. Do we argue about color for this type of stuff? Yeah. But with this room, I, I just pick my battles. I this room, I didn't have any horses in this race, so I was like, she she had three shades of gray. She was cool with. I was like, those were all legit. Yeah. And she picked the middle one, and there we are. Yeah, it's awesome. Ellen and I actually do a really good about agreeing on color. And in fact, I picked a color for this office uh, that we're kind of sharing, and it's considered more. I consider it more her office. She's in here more than I am. Uh, but I picked a nice little lilac whisper. From Lowe's. Lilac Whisper. It uh, sounds like a great candle. Yeah, well, it used to be this bright, ignorant orange. Uh, and it had like this Dutch soccer logo painted on the door that I've had to cover Ooh, with like three coats of primer. Just that is a bright orange. I'm familiar with that particular shade of orange. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, speaking of house projects, uh, this this past weekend, Ellen and I kind of discussed what the strategy was for the for the outside Uh debating between you know the uh the wood mulch versus the rubber mulch for the flower beds and stuff like that so real adult stuff yeah that's right uh happening the stuff that matters yeah really these for days sure. it really does but it, it overwhelms me because i was a bachelor for so long you know and living in apartments oh, yeah, and a, stuff and never had to worry about those things uh, learning curve for sure yeah and it's just overwhelming and sometimes i'm like you clean the lawn i don't want to do it anymore and just get it all like mm-hmm. you know teenage like and it's just like you know whatever but looking forward to it actually today watch a whole bunch of videos on uh landscaping so i'm really into it it's uh excellent that's good i think especially at our age um it's really good because uh because i had avoided being an adult owning my own home for really a long time or at least not a long time but you know longer than uh some folks do some folks are kind of getting cracking on that in their 20s it was also awesome because i really felt like i was invincible my health stayed strong um in my apartment days yeah and then you get a home and then your body falls apart because you spend so much time trying to cool, do cool stuff to your house. Uh, so I had never considered ages catch. Yeah. Ages catching life. up to me with the house. Yeah. Never considered icy hot until we've got this house. So yep. struggles That's real, exactly man, it. in your mid thirties, it just, your body just forgets, uh, you right. know, how much you, it used to love you. Uh, all at once too. It's like, it's a real slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I could have been on Ninja warrior six months ago and now I'm in an iron lung. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could be a Ninja Warrior now. I actually just jogged for half an hour. Uh, and by jog, I, mean, I believe that's really what they have on the waiver. Have you jogged a half hour and you just tick a box? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good. You just won Ninja Warrior. Yeah. That, well, that and jumping on a couple pedestals, it'll be fine. You'll get there. <laughs> you're going to get there, kid. It'll, you, you're a good champion. They might let you on most extreme elimination challenge saying you've ru- that you've run. 
At least the voiceover minutes. part. At least the voiceover. Yeah, part. that's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, life's been hectic, uh, which is true. But I had found some time for fun. I was in New York uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, for a broadcasting conference. Uh, my students won first place in some national categories, yep. which is pretty sweet. But enough about those little rats. I want to talk about me and my experience retro video game hunting in Manhattan. Did you know this was a thing? I did not. Well. I I imagine anything that's already a thing probably is a thing in Manhattan. Like they get a little bit of it all, I bet. Uh, so yeah, but I'm I'm excited to know what it's like. I I hope that the shops that sell retro games are basically the same shop where the dad in Gremlins gets the first Mogwai. <laughs> I hope uh, you had to take a really dangerous set of stairs down into the basement in a tenement house block and to get your games. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. No, it's not really like that at all. Um, but it is kind of like the shop in Gremlins, a couple of places I went to. Uh, so let me start off by saying, so when I was there, there was a nor'easter that came through New York. It was oh, snowing yeah. and raining sideways, right? And so there was no way I was going to miss the opportunity, one, to go to the Nintendo store in New York because I had to go there. Right. You have to go. Mm-hmm. You have to check it off the list. So I did. And I came out with a Legend of Zelda coffee cup, you know, so real adult stuff there. Um, That's right. But it's really cool because they did have like a little om- like homage to um, the, the uh, consoles throughout history. It's just like a little mini like uh, museum type setup. Right. Where you just like in a couple display cases was like the history of Nintendo starting with, um, uh, the family. Did they go to the TV game the six? TV Did game they go six, back that yes, far? That was there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so you got to see all those consoles, uh, cool. and it makes you feel good cause you have like all of them, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm a real collector, yeah. bro. I'm a real collector. But aside from that, uh, I had some really good ramen. So it really warmed me up, warm up my soul and did all that. And, uh, but I also ended up at this, uh, the first place I went to, I went to two different places on top of the Nintendo store. Uh, it was really highly rated on like Facebook and Google and stuff. He's like, Hey, this is going to be great. Like they're going to have everything. So I walk in the store and lo and behold, they actually have, I mean, they do, they have everything, man. Like, uh, super Famicom, Famicom, NES, SNES, and they have just about every game. Like if you're missing a game, this is the place to go. Okay. They have common, uncommon stuff. Um, you know, all the Mega Man's were there, uh, if you're in need of those things. So if you're a person and you need a game, like this is where you would go, which is fine. Yeah. That sounds pretty excellent. Yeah. But also it's fucking expensive, man. Like it is absolutely ignorant how much the prices were on some of those games. Uh, and I think I texted you while I was there and I was like, Hey man, if you're interested in paying $35 for super <laughs> Mario brothers three, come to Manhattan, it's here. And I, yeah. never, I had never seen that game that high. Now I understand like it's a good game. Super Mario brothers three, one of the best games ever. Right. Listen, but, super Mario brothers three has got to pay cost of living like everybody else, I guess. <laughs> well, in New York, it's, it's getting crazy. I mean, they're, you know, they're literally partitioning off one bedroom apartment. So four, uh, four families can live there. It, that's what Manhattan's Jesus. like. It's crazy. Um, and I wish we were making stuff up, but that's kind of real. Uh, they've got a real yeah, housing well, I bet. in Manhattan. Uh, so anyway, uh, as, but I was like, okay, I'm curious. Let me take a look. And there's a couple games I'm looking for for Sega Genesis. One of them, I'm looking for a boxed Road Rash um, because I love that game. So either Road Rash 1, Road Rash 2, but I want in the box because I don't want just the carts. I'm not going for a full uh, Sega Genesis collection. I'm just going for something that is going to like, you know, Make me feel good. That's those are the games I want. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they didn't have one in the box, but 
anyway, I kept looking and I saw it, Secret of Mana. We talked about a couple weeks ago, hundred bucks, uh, just the cart alone at this Jeez. video game place. And so I went to a different place thinking, okay, this is a little lower Manhattan. It's a little out of the way. Uh, it's not actually like near Times Square. So I go to this place. I uh, take the, actually I took an Uber to this one. I was a little tired of walking. So I took the Uber down here and, uh, you sound like you just had an Uber, like an Uber. <laughs> Uber. Uh, Uber. Yeah. So I go into this place, and it's the tiniest place I've ever been in. But also, they have everything. But again, you're paying the same amount of money. It's like New York has this market of people who love retro games, and they're willing to spend, you know, 20 bucks on a Super Mario Duck Hunt cart, which is insane. Yeah. So that That's was nuts. my video game trip through New York. That's awesome. Um it's funny, my equivalent, not equivalent, and nothing I would go too into depth on, but it's funny the place you mentioned, the World Nintendo, the as far as like where you have to go, it's kind of like got that super potato vibe um, yeah. with all the, the displays. They kind of, you know, be it, it becomes such a flagship store um, that it they realize, well, to do right by the customer, we better <laughs> make it also a museum and <laughs> a place to get a picture taken at because people are not only just traveling there to buy stuff, but... It's interestingly, it's part of the culture of collecting. So you got to stop by. That's awesome. Very yeah. cool, dude. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I was glad I went. Um, I know now what it's like to live that retro game lifestyle in New York. It's got to be hard for New York City collectors. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Uh, I imagine they do a lot of the Facebook hunting or Craigslist adding or something like that. But, um, you know, I guess us being Midwesterners, it's a little not easier to find games. But at least when we find a game, it's not going to be an arm and a leg. Well, here's what I would say is probably the case, and, and certainly something that I've seen location-based, is that New York is really solid for a lot of, or like just really the East Coast, but certainly Northeast, is really solid for a lot of imports, right. um, but not as much as you get obviously on the West Coast. But the West Coast, especially the Northwest, all the good, really amazing historic stuff that shows up, like super nintendo's playstation hybrid thing and all these like really amazing like one-off historic stuff you you're only gonna find it up there it reminds me of uh we we're watching what's that show on pbs really exciting show um this old house? by watching no it's the one where you got to go get stuff auctioned off or not auctioned off they appraised oh, antiques roadshow yeah. antiques roadshow <laughs> yeah yeah by the way let me walk that back i don't watch antiques roadshow Lies. um i'm not that old yet but um, I've certainly stopped on it for a minute. So I'm thinking, you notice that there's nothing old. I was living in Tempe, Arizona at the time. And I was thinking, they're, the oldest thing that's going to be here that isn't like an actual anthropological find is going to be 100 years old. Meanwhile, if you live in like somewhere in Maine, you're just in the place where you're going to find the amazing stuff. And I feel like that's the same. We're going to get out the Pacific Northwest is where all the great historic collectibles seem to be coming up. Yeah, living coast to coast, man. That's where everything started. Mm -hmm. America yeah. started <laughs> on the East Coast, man. Um, so yeah, that was uh, in New York was fun. I highly encourage everybody to go. I love cities, and New York is an excellent city, uh, and uh, it, it's really cool. And I would love to get like the next time I go, I'd love to get more immersed in sort of like the geek culture. Like they've got a museum of the moving image there that I get a chance to see. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, that's awesome. Totally Totally go sometime, my man. Totally go. Yeah, never been. I, I should really uh, get out that way, but 
I've heard great things from a lot of people have visited. Good things. Good things. All right. Moving on, Mr. Phil, you issued us a challenge last week for a video game. Uh, but also you issued Rich a challenge for a video game. Mm, I don't know what, two, two, three years ago. Yeah, uh, roughly. It's been a while. Yeah. So finally, uh, it's been spring break. Uh, it was spring break last week uh, at work. And I finally decided to dip my toes into the land of Undertale. This is a game that you purchased for me on Steam. Like, yeah, seriously, like three years ago. Like, Rich, you got to play this game, man. You love Final Fantasy. Yep. You played Undertale. It's going to be the best game ever, man. So like, I think, because I, I did give it to high a billing, I think I described it as the greatest Super Nintendo game that never came out on Super Nintendo. Those were probably your exact words, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think no that's joke. what I called it. Uh, and <laughs> it's a very good game, but Donkey Kong's better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I decided to finally get into it. And I, well, cause I tried for like 20 minutes to play the game years ago. And I was like, dude, I'm just not into it. It's too puzzle based for me. I'm just not into puzzles. Like I'm just into leveling up spells and throwing magic bombs and ice two everywhere. Right. Uh, but that's, this is not that game. However, I got into it. And I got to say, so I beat the first part of the game, uh, which I did not know there was multiple parts of the game. I, I knew that there was like a pacifist run and things like that, but I didn't realize you had mm-hmm. to like beat the game neutrally in order to continue on. And so yeah. I thought I had beat the game after I beat uh, Asgore, right? And I was like, cool, game's over. And then the flower came back. I was like, nah, you fucked up. It's <laughs> like, uh, what? And then I had to fight like many stages of this flower, which was totally intense, but I finally did it. Finally beat the game. I still have to go through and do his passive style, but at least I've got one one way through. So, awesome, good. I'm glad to... you're going back. I I was really hoping when you first told me you beat it, but I think you were explaining. <laughs> I can't remember you were explaining over text. So basically, it was like, um, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to end. And then <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's not. That's, you're not there yet. And nope. so I was waiting for you to be like, well, then this game sucked after all, and not pick it back up. So no, if you're interested in finishing. The uh, the run with the pacifist run, I highly recommend it. That's really the way the, the game's meant to be played. Yeah, it's dude, it's a fun game. I'm not gonna lie, like it was really fun. The dialogue was hilarious. All like yeah. the people you meet along the way are just they're characters that are unique, and mm-hmm. there's so many puns. As you know, you get older, puns are the best. Uh, my kids call them dad jokes, um, but you know, it's just uh, it's a really enjoyable game, and I, I'm actually looking forward. I'm, I'm kind of I'm partway through the, the pacifist run. Uh, it probably won't take me too long to complete. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. So thank you, Phil, uh, for encouraging me over the last three years to be somebody. And I finally have, have accomplished that. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. No. And funny, you mentioned it too. Um, all this, t- the you texting about it and let me know you were playing. It got my interest peaked again. So I'm oh. actually currently running through it again. I actually, well, so you know that I had got, I'm one of those folks with the, vive the vr stuff yeah and so i had to build a new computer for it and i'd realized i had not actually even installed uh, undertale so i was like you know it was, it was about due it's one of those where i think it'd been a couple years since i played it so i'm i was trying to think about how the whole thing went i just remember really, really enjoying the music in it um i felt that the story and it was just really good and i'm interested to see what you think after the pacifist run that'll be more opportunity oh, yeah. to talk the music about was good the, in that. the scale of it oh yeah and it's and it's also the here's what's so amazing about that and then i'll drop the subject but what blows my mind is the fact that for most of it it was all by one person there's some art and there's a few other things contributed to my understanding but basically it was just one of these great works of video game art that somebody had built and spent gosh years you know getting it right and then it was just released and 
people couldn't deny how strong of a game it was. So it was just really cool. It reminded me a little bit of like Cave Story and yeah. a couple of these games that just kind of get launched. And then, but they're even more amazing based on the fact one person really did all the work. Well, it's kind of the apex of the indie trend. I mean, I guess. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? like it's, it, it's Fez so was one of those titles too. Super sure. Meat Boy, you know, games like that. Yep, that Super are, Meat Boy. Uh, that have just transcended the indie status um, to become yeah, just totally. more mainstream, which I think is great. I think more developers, more games makes a uh, good competitive uh, balance and you get more fun. Mm. Uh, I'd say more the merrier. You know, I've played enough of my Maddens. I've I've played enough yeah, of Fortnite, right. which, by the way, Fortnite is way too much fun for somebody who sucks at first person shooters. But I love Fortnite. Oh, I'm garbage at first person shooters. I haven't even tried it. I haven't tried that or um, Player Unknown Battlegrounds yet. Yeah, I've never played that. But Fortnite, I can tell you right now. Uh, so <laughs> I've played with my cousin, play Reed. Uh, mm-hmm. my brother's about to play. I've now played with my cousin's nephew. Uh, and then there's my dad and his brother. So I played with my dad and my uncle Fortnite. Family reunion is really what you yeah, got here. That is exactly right. Without the really old potato salad. Uh, yeah. it's so it's kind That's of PCB. This game is bringing people together. Dude, a dude on Twitch. I don't know if you're familiar with the guy. His name's Ninja on Twitch. Uh, he played with Drake, mm. uh, Travis Scott. Oh, I heard about it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that was yeah, 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 so, yeah. That was so funny. And every time Drake killed somebody, the entire Twitch chat just typed God's plan. It was great. It was so good. That is great, dude. So were you good. actually were you able to catch that as it was happening? No, I did not catch it live. I'm too old to stay up that okay. late. But oh, me I, too. I didn't even I heard about it the next day in the news in the newspaper. <laughs> the news break. What, that's what, what all the young people are. That's how they find out what Drake was up to is in the news. <laughs> the Washington the next Post. morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was just, it was, I watched the VOD. I pulled it up and, and watched the video on demand. And uh, dude, it was really, really good. It was kind of cool to see a dude I follow on Twitch. And now, and also, I mean, this dude's making, uh, he's up over 200,000 subscribers on Twitch. And that's a minimum of, Jeez. so each Twitch script, subscription is four ninety nine. Uh it, and sometimes they're more depending on what the level they have. Uh, and if you subscribe and then you get the streamer essentially gets half of that. So essentially this dude's making at least a hundred K to 200 K a month, Yeah, a month streaming video games. Yep. Totally. It's crazy, man. And but it's funny though. in the one guy who does that, how long has he been doing it? Uh, probably three, you know, four years or so, but, but there's so a bad. plenty of people on Twitch making. A oh game. yeah, that's true. There. But I wonder, I'm sure there's still probably more room in that market as more people find that to be a good way to spend their time in the day. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, we'll see. I wonder, uh, how that, you know, how it's all going to shake out when it's going to become pretty saturated where I'm not saying it's a bubble, but where it's going to be, it'll get really major. And I don't even know what Twitch is going to look like in the future on that networks. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I see esports, and yeah, of course. Right. Like. I think the, the the normalization and maybe even legitimization of esports it seems like it's on the cusp. It's right. Well, I'll tell you this. Happen. I'll tell you this. So I've actually been doing a little research on trying to incorporate esports broadcasting into a curriculum, where mm. uh, instead of just teaching you know sports broadcasting and news broadcasting, but also incorporating a little 
something different where we'll do some esports, like just small tournaments, you know, Smash Brothers or whatever, just something that the school would put together just to get kids a little different practice. Cause I have plenty of kids who are interested in those types of games, Lords of League of Legends or uh, Fortnite, whatever. Uh, they're into those games. And there's a market, Overwatch. Sure. There's, there's a huge community of Overwatch players. Um, and a lot of people making a lot of money doing tournaments. And, you know, you could just pull the, the Big Ten. Uh, conference actually has an esports league where like teams from Ohio State and Illinois and Michigan State will play esports. It's it's just crazy. See, now that's a good that's a great question or at least a great subject to look at. So I know a lot. Basically, cut to the chase. So a lot of these games that are very popular esports games are the most toxic games that are available to be played on the internet. Um, at least some of them are, it's inevitable. I mean, if you were to say, Hey, what's the most toxic, or if I would ask you like answer, what would you think the most toxic online environment is? Rick and Morty fan base. No, I, I mean, in a game, like a gaming, Overwatch like is pretty bad. Gonna, League of Legends Overwatch is pretty, pretty bad. bad. League of Legends is the one that everybody generally mentions. And that's also one of the obviously number one esports, uh, you know, games that get selected. Right. So, I wonder, yeah, are there other, are there titles out there that are still strong contenders, kind of still use a lot of the same parts of the brain so they'll bring those folks in but aren't as toxic? I, you think about a university or a school that wants to get into a sport. If all of basketball as it was played was associated with people throwing the language around that gets thrown around on League of Legends, then schools wouldn't want to have a basketball tournament. You know what I mean? I just wonder how much they can – how open gaming is to academic institutions with some of the behavior that gets associated with it. I think right now these are just considered club sports. Uh, so at universities, they have club sports where they're not like they're loosely affiliated with the university. They're more of an organization and a club than an actual affiliated sport. So gotcha. uh, when we went to school at Illinois state, they have a hockey team, but that's a club sport. So the club has to raise money themselves in order to get you know, the finances go to play Kansas or, or whatever. So, um, they're not funded by the university. They may get some, you know, organizational funds or whatever, but, uh, they're not getting travel money. At least I don't think, you know, directly from the university. Unless they're a private school, they need to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. So, uh, but okay. So let's move on. There's a couple of big things I want to hit, um, before we, uh, run out of time here. I mean, we've got plenty of time. We're only a few minutes in, but, um, I really, 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 really wanted to talk about this Toys R Us closing, closing. Yeah. Yep. Big stuff. That's huge. And I wonder if it's big for us because we are the Toys R Us kid, right? We're the kid who looked in the uh, catalog, circled what we wanted for Christmas, gave it back to dad. And and then Santa uh, showed up and, and hooked us up with that stupid crossfire uh, board game that we always wanted to play. Sure, sure. No, it for me, I actually did not have an, a relation or like a... I'd never been to a Toys R Us when I was a kid. I don't know when I probably went to one for the first time. But what's more interesting is the way that that I kind of fetishized as a child Toys R Us as being like just the best possible place in the world next to like Universal Studios, Florida, where on the set of (laughs) filming of a Nickelodeon show, often which was co-opted with whatever's new at Toys R Us. And so, yeah, I just remember all the commercials and all that and just thinking I would wish there was so much because where was the nearest one at up in like Chicagoland because no, I... there was uh, Quad Cities in Peoria the one I went to when oh, I was okay. a little rich was in Peoria 
Okay. Yeah, my folks that we would shop for school clothes and go to the big city of LaSalle, Peru. Like that was a, as far as malls and yeah, we we hardly ever really went to Peoria or the Quad Cities for stuff. But um, the one thing that it's still every time I think of Toys R Us, I have stuck in my mind. I felt like they played this commercial so much, and it was right when the Sega Genesis came out. And I remember just being really impressed with how Sonic the Hedgehog looked because they kept kind of showcasing that. And so him bouncing around to be like the second stage in the very first one. It, or no, that'd be Marvel Zone. Whatever it is. There's one where you're banging around and it's just got a very right. distinct music track to it. And uh, I've always associated that with Toys R Us. So anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame. But at the same time, I didn't really go, whoa, like, no way. Like, it's oh, OK, yeah, I guess this is going to happen. Like Kmart's next. Sears is next. Like there's just so many of these once monolithic um, and very American institutions of retail that, you know, I just aren't going to make it. Well, I mean, you're already seeing a lot of this. Well, a lot of the Sears and Kmart's already closing. Uh, it's just, for me, it was just kind of shocking to be like Toys R Us, just like, we're out. Like, that's it. Yeah, So you're instead right. of like a slow burn, it was totally just, let's throw the match on the gasoline and let this thing eat. Yeah. I'll concede that. You know what I think it was? It was because from what I read up on it, I think they have had some more success, even if not what could be really described as true success in other markets, primarily um, Eastern Europe or mainland Europe and uh, Japan and a little bit of Canada. And so I wonder if they're lopping off this at the arm, you know, just to try to keep the rest of the body alive. Cause I, yeah, I don't know, but you're right. That's a really good point. The suddenness of it, let's say it was really like a week came out and, or a week before they closed rumors were like, ah, Toys R Us might be looking. And then sure enough, bam, they were out and it was, I think, pretty fast compared to what we've seen with other other retailers. Do you think Toys R Us missed the boat on maybe adapting to changes? They are a historical example of missing the boat. There is like legitimately an example. They're used as a a proverb of poor, poor adaptation. So the Internet came out and uh, I believe there were some folks who were really interested in working with uh with Toys R Us to give them like a, a digital storefront. And they were just like, whatever, like, no, <laughs> like we don't have to, we don't have to update like this internet thing is a fad at best. And, uh, nobody's going to be wanting to buy toys. They'll come in and actually handle them in our stores. And so it was just like, even from the beginning, which is the same, you know, isn't that really the same? What we saw from a lot of these monolithic, uh, just impossible to fail Sears, like go back 50 years and tell somebody Sears to go out of business. Oh yeah. It's like, it's it's believable somebody telling us coca-cola is going out of business be like yeah i'm pretty sure coca-cola is not really going to go out of business but yeah sure enough some of these companies like toys r us they're uh once pretty big and uh yeah are now nothing so i went to toys r us for the first time in a while just well actually a couple times over you know, between Christmas shopping period up until I got my SNES Classic because I was looking for one uh, during this time. And one thing I noticed is it was just not the same atmosphere as when I was a kid. There wasn't a lot of people, like, helping or people around the store, like, letting you engage in toys. Sure. Uh, one of the things I remember when I was a kid was, from the handful of times I went there, was being able to, like play so you played uh that one of the new game kiosks that they had you 
played with one of those like you know balls where you stand on the look like the rings of Saturn you stand on it you jumped around uh, and all that stuff was encouraged and when I when I go there now I don't see kids engaging I see kids just disengaged and there's just nothing for them to do other than the parents just dragging around being like okay we gotta get this this and this and we gotta get out of here so yeah. you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or or what. Uh, I know they didn't really embrace the online that, model really, all that well either. They didn't, but that's a really good point, though. I just think think imagine in some measurable ways, like think of how many pounds of toys were made for children uh, twenty years ago. I mean, just the fact that how much how much time of your of your early to like mid childhood were spent with toys in your hands that are now kind of spent with these digital devices that, yeah, I don't know. I bet it's probably the case that there are just less actual toys being bought and there's probably a lot more software and, and stuff like that. Well, there's no doubt that the attention spans are, are shorter. I mean, it's just with, Certainly. with every generation. I mean, it's, it's documented. Yeah. That's real, yep. like real life data. Um, and, yeah. you know, I've had to adjust my teaching style to this because as they get younger, they're more into their you know, visual fixations, whether it's their phone, pads, whatever. So, you mean, you grow up and your first book's probably an iPad, um, I, w- I would imagine. I mean, they, I mean, it's your first real, like, immersed experience. Obviously, you're not going to read when you're a toddler, but um, mm-hmm. it, your first immersed experience is that. It's not like a CNSA. You know what I mean? So... Uh, I'm not trying to say that, you know, parents are terrible. That's not what I'm, uh, that's not what I'm advocating. In fact, I think millennials get a terrible rap. Um, but like it's, it's, it's just different. Life is different and it's either adapt or die. I mean, that's just the way it is. Sure. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, one thing that kind of stems off of that, I need to find it. Um, it's something that really piqued my interest was read an article, uh, from a guy who, was having he felt success in some way um had a daughter and was really kind of thinking of kind of the same and really an extension of this whole idea of current devices and how um everything's just there you can get it like think of all the kids now getting used to like alexa play the show alexa do this thing right. like they don't even they're not even gonna get familiar with control or remotes pretty soon so what this guy did is he knew he was going to try to encourage his uh, kid to play video games responsibly, of course. And in order to kind of instill the sense of imagination that sometimes we talk about not being present, he actually introduced her chronologically. So he got her on Atari when she was like four and then got her on the Nintendo, like the original and five. And then maybe like Super Nintendo at six and just kind of walked her through some of the major hits that were great and let her kind of get exposed and used to those titles Mm -hmm. before she got into the ones that are really, they guide you in a way that I think we all now look back at Nintendo hard and some of the stuff where it really kind of made you use your brain a little bit. And, uh, he was, yeah, I just, I need to find that article and reread it because I feel like, uh, I wonder if he's updated it since to see what she's, uh, how she likes it now. If she still has a, a fondness for the really old stuff that way. Final thought. Do you think millennials are killing the Toys R Us industry? Do I think millennials are killing the Toys R Us industry? Uh, no, I guess. 
Um, like, I know. I just. I don't know. I, I just I, read all this Facebook crap. I think Jeff Bezos is killing the Toys R Us industry. Well, yeah. Je- well, we can't blame Jeff Bezos for everything. Um, we could. No, we could just try. the just the dis- just the destruction of American retail yeah. and brick and mortar stores, <laughs> but nothing else beyond that. You're right. I don't want to throw too much. But on it's him, also. Clearly. I mean, but like you can't blame him. He's. Tr- no, of course not. Uh, but yeah, no. I just. I just, the reason I brought that up for last is because it's one of those things where you read on the internet that you know. Millennials are killing Toys R Us. Millennials have killed Applebee's. Millennials have killed the beer drinking industry. It's like, shut. Do you know what those articles are? Those are to get millennials to click them and be pissed and just kind of be like, oh, this article is going to be so stupid. I'm going to click it and I'm going to share it. It's just, I bet it's bait. Because, yeah, how the hell, what, well, actually, you could probably tell me, do you know what they're trying to say about why millennials, how are they responsible for Toys R Us? Um, be- millennials are tools for toys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just because they—they're the reason why they, everybody buys everything online. Like, millennials oh. are the only ones buying everything online. It's not my dad yeah, okay. or myself who hasn't. Yeah, right. No kidding. Who, when somebody says, "Hey, oh, hey, I need uh, this random item here," it's not like, "Oh, let me go to the store and, and look that up." No, it's like uh, Amazon Prime free shipping. I'll exactly. Here in a couple of days, I don't need—I don't need it right now. I'd- no, they're they're letting. It's not like uh, the original Facebook where you had to have a college email address to use something. Like yeah. Amazon's cool with people who are not millennials using their website. Uh, moms, grandmas, and grandpas everywhere are uh, purchasing things off it. I don't think millennials should be on the hook. For yeah, that. sorry, Applebee's. It's not the industry. It's your shitty food. Yeah, there's just not enough room for you, Applebee's, because you are Chili's and you are. Uh, Do I almost said Foster's. not. What's that? What's step that joint with the? Uh, nah, step on them later. Chilies. No, later chilies and later the joint with the blooming onion. The, the, the Outback steakhouse. steakhouse. Yeah, Outback Steakhouse is trash. But let's no chilies. I'll defend of the day I die. Chilies is legit. Oh really? I love chilies. I think that's great. I hope that someday chilies <laughs> and Carlos O'Kelly's get together and have a baby. I don't even think they did. I think it was called Carlos O'Kelly's. Chilies O'Callahan's. <laughs> <laughs> Go have a big mouth bite. Real authentic. And change your real authentic. Change stuff. your mind. Change your tone on mm. chilies right now. Nah. The only restaurants on the side of an interstate I want anything to do with are Cracker Barrels, and I don't condone everything dude, Cracker never. Barrel says. Dude. But I love to eat. All right, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I'm hijacking this podcast right now, and I'm telling you right now <laughs> that if you ever set foot in a Cracker Barrel again, I will end this podcast. Two words. Fried okra. Oh, my girlfriend loves fried okra. I, oh, it's uh, so good. Once a year. Once a year. Cracker Barrel is the blandest food. It, I imagine it's what. Oh my god, uh, it's so bland. It's dude. what butter tastes like. What do you mean bland? Like, are you thinking <laughs> of like some British restaurant? You, no. Oh, the place is covered in sugar and butter. It's, it's all it has is flavor. That's it. No. They just give you an IV filled with. That shit. Okay, so everything I've ever ordered at Cracker Barrel has just been a lie, and it's never salted or any anything. It, I'm telling you that right now, like, like the only time you've ever been there has been in spice. your nightmares. Like I wish Bobby Flay would go there and take me to Flavor Town. Like please, <laughs> Guy Fieri, let's go. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh, please, ah, uh, no. Cracker Barrel to be continued bad. on that. Never. I will. Uh, I'll uh, never continue. Some point. Someday. Never conceding that. Well, we might have to pick it up again, but for now, people uh, who like Cracker Barrel are the same people that wait in line for Creed tickets. So, like, <laughs> no, I don't think so. 
Well, no, maybe you're right. No, actually, you're totally right. I'm just, yeah, it's a bummer. It's, th- don't get me wrong. When I walk in there, it, it has that kind of feel where Pee Wee Herman walks into that biker bar and the needle scratches off the record. Yeah. When I go into a Cracker Barrel, it's instantly just, you know, rubbernecking. Look at this hipster in here. Yeah, well, change your hat. Yeah, your you're right. You're right. It's terrible, but uh, but it's so good. So good. Uh, okay, Phil, I got to ask you a question. One more question. Sure. Can I borrow $50? Well, we've talked about this before. It has to be for a good reason. I told you I was going to Comic-Con, right? In a couple of weeks, Indianapolis style? Yeah, you did. Sean Astin's going to be there. Oh, all right. Lord Sean of the Rings. Astin. Rudy, Mikey from the Goonies. Mikey from the Goonies. Yeah. He was also in this one movie where he played a baseball coach. He's also the person who replaced Barb as the memorific fallen <laughs> hero uh, in Stranger Things. Like, I got shouted down on Reddit for even saying that Barb was, like, they were, they were both good people because they were so over any mention of Barb. It was strictly to be uh, that dude. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, what, what was his name in that show? Now I feel terrible. Bob, I actually can't remember either, but I can tell you that David Harbour's also going to be. Bob, I think. I think his name was Bob. He is a Bob. He's a full Bob. He definitely uh, a Bob. But David Harbour's going to be there Bob also asked. at this Comic-Con, so I'm pretty excited. It's good. It's oh, hey, Comic-Con. that's awesome. But I need $50 so I can go meet Samwise Gamgee. Can you hook me up with he's, that? <laughs> well, let me ask you that. So he's charging $50 to meet him? It's $50 to go up there and get his autograph. What else does he do for $50? Well, I don't know until I pay him his $50. Like, I hope he, like, stares at you angrily. Like, I hope there's different packages. Because I feel like $50, first off, what a really round number for you to land on and tell me that's what your signature's worth. Maybe it's worth 35 Have you gone to, like, Signature Bay and seen <laughs> what one of his goes for? Is there a signature? You want fifty bag? bucks, young man? You need to Put make sure you've got your name. your facts together. Listen, the <laughs> facts are okay. So he's part of the, he's part of like a huge movie franchise, arguably the hero of the entire yeah. Lord of the Rings universe, right? He's also everybody's sports hero movie guy. It's Rudy, and yep. he's an '80s icon because him and One Eye Willie are besties. So you tell me, Mister Ernst, is Sean Astin worth fifty dollars? The answer is. Yeah, sure. He's worth 50 bucks. Uh, I can meet you in the middle on this one. Now, had he been asking for $60? Oh, no, sir. No, 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 no. Oh, no, sir. I say no. He's honestly the one Absolutely person not. that I would probably give 50 bucks to. Just, I mean, I would never, honestly, I never would because I think it's weird to like spend money to get somebody's autograph or, That's or whatever. That's good because I um, was thinking I'm not going to send you this 50, nor do I think you should send 50 of your own because you don't need 50 for no. me. But yeah, all said, uh, he's like, I don't want, I don't want him to need $50 from people who want to get an autograph. Like I hope I, I got two sides here. I can either go a, that's kind of a weird thing to charge that much money for. And you're kind of like, oh, that sounds kind of mean. Well, I think it's then, a photo uh, op and everything. I think that you get a photo with it. and I mean, not like a, a frame photo, but I think you get to take a picture. Listen, however long it takes, I wonder what he can get done in an hour and how much does he make. And then he can tell me how much he makes an hour doing that. And then if it's something that is just insane, I can go, well, that's too bad. <laughs> I wish you could have charged less. The other side of that is obviously maybe he needs that money. 
Uh, so I don't think he does. It's the, no, I hope not. Rudy's a smart boy. Yeah, yeah, I think he's. he's I think he's done pretty well. He's got him. a good Roth IRA. You know, he's got a strong portfolio. Rudy's Rudy's a smart boy. Yeah, uh, I just he's a good boy. He's, I mean, he's such a pop culture like. Do we, can we call him an icon? Maybe he's like low key pop culture icon if you think about it. <laughs> but think about the franchises and the movies he's been a part of. Listen, I can't believe I'm defending Sean Astin like this. I can't believe I'm defending Sean Astin like this. I like basically. Just, I just think it's funny you're trying to put this guy on Mount Rushmore, and I'm kind of like, oh, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. It's just the guy from Goonies. He's the Madonna of geek. I don't know. It's it's Madonna. I just of don't geek. think he gets like enough credit. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. It's just so stupid. <laughs> I'm trying to defend Well, you Sean heard it Astin. here first, folks. Rich Green does not think that Sean Aston is getting the credit he deserves. <laughs> World, internet, do us all a favor and get uh, your collective shit together and fall at the feet of this lord and man before you, Sean Aston. <laughs> holy oh, shit man that's great good dude well i'm really sorry that this is tearing you up i love it <laughs> it's bad news so good that's <laughs> yeah, good Whatever. well we definitely just booked sean astin yeah. on this podcast We're like damn you guys are fans oh this is the complete i don't get the respect i just des- i deserve i've been telling everybody <laughs> that shit this is the complete in Aston podcast. Uh, yeah. Where every day we say our favorite Goonie quote. Um, and then by, followed by Chance of Rudy, Rudy. And then <laughs> potatoes, you cook them in a stew. And then we just go from there. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Good stuff. My precious. Sean Aston. Oh, man. All right. Let's, you know, now we're all fired up. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of our section today. And you wanted to fight with me about Famicom versus NES. Let's go ahead, Phil. (laughs) Enlighten us. Well, let me, uh, the first thing is you need to understand is that the Famicom is not a part of Nintendo's history. Nintendo is a part of Famicom's history. I let that sink in. The Nintendo is just this little American version of the real thing. It's the better version of the real thing, but continue. You have, how can, but all right, let me talk about the ways in which it isn't. Oh, hardware. Tell me. We know all about the fact that you can't get the same sound you get. Um, the other side of that is there's just obviously like a mountain of software out there that were Japan only exclusives, which really should have come out, come out. There's no good explanation. Games that, if you play now, you're like upset. You feel cheated that you didn't get a chance to play them when you were younger because they were like perfect. They would have been exactly what you would want to play. Like Takeshi's Challenge? Oh, that game is horrible. <laughs> but then again, like it was really funny, and I'll, I'll go over this later, but there's also that same problem where I'm talking about excellent Japanese titles that never came out in the States. There's actually a lot of titles, um, fewer, but still a good number of titles in the U.S. that never came out in Japan. So for every Takeshi's challenge, you're like, oh, man, that's too bad. They didn't have, you know, Bible buffet. They didn't have a lot of like the real crappy games that we we had over here. But so you got that. You've got the libraries expanded. You got all these other peripherals that are Japan exclusive. Uh, have you ever seen their zapper? It looks like a legit revolver. I don't know if that's really a positive necessarily, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would just think I, really a lot of it is. The disc system is really a heavy hitter for it, what it does for the library. And uh, I think the hardware 
that's in it as well as really just kind of the the history of it for me it's i i find it to be it's just a stronger console than the nintendo okay so i can see the fact that the disc system is i mean okay so i would love to have a famicom no no joke just to have it but the disc system i think is is was kind of a cool idea uh I don't remember how many games actually came out for it, but one of the cool things you could actually take your disc in and, and like rewrite new games on it. Right. Right. Yeah. That was actually like the big part of its draw. You suffered in terms of like what you could do with, uh, the size, like it was really limited and obviously you didn't have the benefit of additional chips like you get in cartridges, but it allowed them to be cheaper. And as you said, um, you could get different software on the same media. So it was just a, a really good, low entry a low cost entry point for i think a lot of kids especially in japan who uh you know their parents couldn't get them the full famicom experience with the cartridges this was a really a good inexpensive equivalent do you know how many titles came out for the disc system i don't offhand if i had to guess just in kind of looking and this could be totally wrong i would say somewhere in the tune of like in the 40s or 50s it wasn't a great number right and a lot of the software um i don't think it was very strong some of it was some of it was really cool and uh, some of the ones that didn't come out, like a great example, there's a game called I Senshi Nicole. That's a uh, an excellent Famicom game. Uh, the uh, Konami had a lot of great titles that were Famicom disc system only. They had that famous Bio Miracle Uta, whatever the hell it was, where you're that baby throwing candy and stuff. It's a weird one, but it's good. So yeah, they had a lot of titles for it, and um, they just they never came out, but at the same time were, I think, really affordable. Here's my gripe on the Famicom. Mm. Um, then the, we'll start with the obvious: the controllers. They're attached to the sure. machine. Yeah, that's a certain. That's a definite drawback. And they're not very long. And no, they're really short. That's kind of a bummer. But also, and they're small. The controllers themselves yeah. are much smaller than the NES. But one. it is cool that you could like. There's a few games where you actually use the voice function on the controller, right? It's uh, true. And yeah. so Zelda fighting the poles voice. If you scream into your controller, they'll die, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. I mean, that's that's, tech, that's technology that's like way advanced. Okay, I'll give you. That. And real quick, just to jump in on that, that I think is a great example of what Nintendo is known for. Like we think about it now, or even after the 64 and GameCube, when they really kind of breathed a, a fresh breath of air into the lungs of living room video gaming with the Wii and all that, they, even back then, were trying to put kind of goofy, weird functions and, and stuff like yelling into the controller. Like, that's such a weird thing, and especially for that far back. It wasn't like people were running out of ideas yet, but um, I just think it shows kind of their, their interest in fun with their consoles. It's pretty impressive. Do you know how did the NES, the American version of the NES, did that ever make an appearance in Japan? Um, well, how do you mean? Is in terms of like an import? Like, yeah, I mean, like, buying... do, does do people in Japan own the gray box with the American title? They don't. They don't. Um, Japan is a little tougher in terms of acquiring imports in general. Uh, they take software licensing way more seriously there than we do here. So when a company, um, I don't know if you've noticed, like when the arcade machines first power on, sometimes you get a warning message that says, warning, this game is for use or operation only in United States of America, Canada, and Mexico, 
etc. They have those for Japanese games. And even though we don't get the warnings on these console games, a lot of the software, it's not the, the especially the Japanese um, designers, they didn't want that version coming out in Japan, so they can't sell it there. That's my understanding is that, yeah, just copyright law in general is tough. So we get a lot of their really cool hardware. I'm sure they still get um, cool Western hardware for those folks that are interested in collecting it. But it's I didn't see it on store shelves and stuff like you would sometimes at least still see imported stuff here in the U.S. I think a lot of my disdain for the Famicom comes from the fact that it, you're right. They have some really good titles that may never make it over but also they get mm-hmm. delayed big time and that bums me out so obviously oh, i'm a yeah. big fan of the final fantasy series mm-hmm. and when you're playing final fantasy and super nintendo and it says final fantasy 3 you're like wow yeah the third one i had to wait for a while for this one when really it's six right and so and then you don't get yeah, to play those exactly. until they come off for playstation you know what i mean it's just and here's and here's the thing on that too when i was a kid i was one of those that my folks were kind enough to let me rent uh, video. So I had two paper routes as a kid. Right. So I had a lot of pocket money. And um, rather than own games, I generally just wanted to rent them. I had a game genie and I would just try to whip through just about every game that the rental place had. Right. But I would, would spend the money on the magazines. And so I had a subscription to Nintendo Power and Game Pro and all this other stuff. But I remember just the disappointment because they were huge hits in Japan. And so it was really not uncommon in these magazines back then to put in a section in their magazine every month of what a coming soon type of stuff, or they would think, yeah, here's a game that's really killing it in Japan. And it's, it's maybe going to get a port or it probably, or it has prequels that had a port and final fantasy is a great example of that. Where it, with four and you know, that came out over here is two, but with five, you know, I saw it in all the magazines. I was really excited about it and I was just devastated that it never came to United States. And it's still, it's a great game, but I was really worried they weren't going to release Final Fantasy VI, three here uh, for the same reason. Glad they did. Yeah, I, well, I am too. And I'm just about finished beating the game myself. Um, and I'll have an update uh, about that next week. But so back to the Famicom versus NES. Uh, obviously, I've played both. Um, I've, I've played Famicom just a handful of times, probably with you. Uh, but it's just, and maybe it's just the American in me, and I'm going to sound so ignorant. I just feel like the bigger is better. You know what I mean? And I just want to start singing a theme song from Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I am a like, real, Amer- real American. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't mean to be a big homer, but it's just when, okay, so Nintendo really got it right with the top loader. When they when the the, they the US version of the top loader, and with the Famicom, obviously, which is also the yeah, yeah. that's how it was originally. Right. So the Famicom was. Um, but it, it, when they got to the top loader, that was amazing. The problem with it, though, is I wish it would output. Um, instead of it, you you can't even output it uh, with an AV cable. No, it's junk. Which it's garbage. Which sucks because it just totally sucks you have to like get it full on modded in order to play it appropriately on any kind of tv yeah um which stinks. to be fair pretty soon at this at the rate things are going i i feel like that's how much every old console is but you're right i want to say the signal out it uses is pretty much like the same thing the the original atari 2600 uses I want to say I saw a an ad for a couple of cables that are supposed to reduce the 
input lag. Um, so instead of getting your video game modded, the input lag is sort of done through some composite cables. That, it, to me, that sounds of the pop-ups that are going to tell me that I have a virus <laughs> and they have a really great, it's gonna if I just click here, make your it's going to take care of that. For, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I'll start getting some of those immediately afterward too. I mean, I was reading about this though in, in a retro uh, gaming, either on Reddit or Facebook or something like that, where it was these cables that people are excited about. They're like 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. They only work for newer systems that actually have a V out. Um, not the Nintendo. So, which you know what? I can see where it would work. So the reason that I mean, it could you, you limit lag. You consider a frame meister, right? Like that's supposed to uh, increase your. Um... So here's here's the difference. Here's why that other cheaper device you're mentioning um, would be useful, I think, for newer consoles. And the reason why I don't think it would deliver for uh, a Nintendo Entertainment System or something like that, whereas a frame meister would is a frame meister is upscaling. Yes. It's taking an image that is going to be basically, what is it, like 240p, mm-hmm. um, that basically becomes 480 interlaced because it's still only 240 pixels, but it just flips them back and forth with the NES. That's how you get to 60 frames a second right. as compared to typically 30 for like uh, standard television uh, footage, like a VCR, etc. You're only getting 240 lines or... Uh, yeah, you're getting 240 lines at 30 frames a second, whereas on the NES, because they interlace, you're getting 60. All right. So that said, oh, what was I saying? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. No, what were you just talking about? I was talking about the cables that would help reduce. Yeah, sorry, the cable. Thank you. So because of that, the lag, the way that the lag works on newer stuff, it doesn't have to upscale. Um, it can take whatever the signal is being put out and really try to clean it up because so much lag does come from a, a television having to clean up the image a little bit. It's kind of pro, uh, was it like post-processing mm-hmm. or um, they talk about, they want you supposed to put on game mode, this type of thing. I could see where something on a newer console may be able to really clean up um, and simplify a video output to where it would reduce, reduce lag there. But I think the reason it works good on a frame meister is because it upscales and does everything that normally comes in the guts of these fancy televisions that do upscale but it does it super fast and way better and then it just puts that image out as natural as it can to the tv so that's probably the difference between those two types of strategies to get good looking footage and no lag i just wish there was some hero out there that would be able to take my regular nes and hook it into my tv and my new TV and there's no input lag. I wish there was some hero that could help me do that instead of actually having to have my NES modded. Yeah. The, there's just no way. I know. I, I mean, mean, I understand you, that. You, you can do it. I'm just saying, I wish yeah, there was you could a hero. Get, yeah. <laughs> I wish there was a hero for that. Can too. you be that hero for um, me, Phil? Can you figure this out? See, that's what I, that's what I was hearing in your voice is like, there might be someone out there who can do this. <laughs> and I was, I'm thinking like Elon Musk might not be able to pull this off. So, uh, no, I think uh, the best you can have done is it can you can upscale it or you can get the original video hardware, in this case, the old cathode ray, and uh, get like a really nice like, studio production monitor for it. And uh, it's about as good as you could possibly get with just your normal old stock NES. 
Well, at this point, you've disappointed me so much that I think it's just yeah. I think it's just time to end the podcast this week. Yeah, I don't blame you. But uh, stay tuned next week. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned next week when Phil figures well, out everything. This sucked. Yeah, <laughs> what an asshole. This Phil guy is just fucking dragging this thing down. No, but uh, make sure you check us out on iTunes and, of course, on Podbean, the Complete and Box podcast. Uh, we'll be back again hopefully next week, if not the week after. We'll make it work. We've got real lives. Phil's got some painting to do. I've got some yard work to do. Um, and I can't wait to talk a little bit more about Comic-Con coming up. And, I, you know, Phil, I really want to get into video game movies because Ready, Ready Player One is getting ready to come out soon. Yeah, uh, you're right. So I want to be able to talk about that uh, at some point in the future, too. So hang on to your butts. All right, I'll hang on to him. Later, buddy. All right, later, man. Bye.